We are, I say this a lot, but man, we are blessed with some really talented, worshipful musicians. So um, just all around, really, really neat. Well, um, as Heather mentioned, uh, that song, Daughters, was released in 2004 in the month of September. And uh, by December of 2004, it was the number one hit on the Billboard Top Top 40. And uh, Mayer and the song would actually go on to win the Grammy for Song of the Year in 2005. Uh, There's a reason everyone in this room pretty much knows that song. Uh, It is an anthem, I think, of that time. And the song itself is an interesting lyrical song. It is a reflection on the part of John Mayer as he thinks about the woman he can't seem to figure out in his life. He's obviously either dating or in a relationship with a woman, and he's, he's constantly having these struggles with her. And in a moment of re- revelation, he realizes that there seems to be a lot more going on than meets the eye with her. And in particular, he comes to the conclusion that she truly is a product of her upbringing. And it's one, at least according to him, in which the father in her life seems to have been distant or at the very least distracted. And so as he reflects on this, Mayer realizes the very critical importance of a father in a daughter's life. And he writes in the bridge these words. He says, on behalf of every man looking out for every girl, you, father, are the guide and the weight of her world. Now, the song is ultimately this plea for men to fulfill the God-given role they have been given as fathers, especially in the lives of their daughters, but not excluding their role in their sons as well. Now, as a father to three children, two of whom were actually up here this morning, uh, my oldest son is Landon, the guitar player. My youngest son is Evan, the, uh, the drummer. And I also have a daughter, Selah, who is truly the princess of the house. And um, when I hear that song, it conjures up all sorts of emotions for me. You know, now that my kids are in their mid to late teens, I can honestly say that fatherhood is a calling far more than it is a simple responsibility. And I can also tell you that I am by no means a perfect or even near perfect father. I sort of add it up. And I figure I'm batting about 250 in fatherhood, right? So if in baseball terms, if you know what that means, that means it's not really all-star worthy, but it keeps me on the roster, okay? So that's sort of where I am in fatherhood. And many of you, I'm sure, can relate to that. In addition, it should be noted that I didn't have a lot of time to consider what fatherhood might be like. Uh, Some of you know my story, but my wife and I were married the same year that Daughters was released, 2004. We were married in March, and by December, we had our first child, Landon. 13 months later, Evan came along, and we had two babies in diapers before our second anniversary. Now, some people will say, well, you know, you know how to prevent that, right? And I said... Yes, we tried. It didn't work for a while. I wasn't sure how many children we would end up in our lives because nothing seemed to stop whatever was going on. And so we were this sort of thrust into parenthood, me into fatherhood. And being thrown into fatherhood with little time to consider what it might mean, I can tell you it brought all sorts of challenges. 
But I tell you this, from day one, God laid it on my heart that I wanted to lead and love my kids in a Christ-like manner. I can say with all certainty that that desire came both from my father in heaven and also from my father here on earth, who had a similar determination in his life to raise Jesus-following children and men who would be the next generation for those who would lead the church and who would lead their kids in a similar manner. Now, if you would like to know how I've done on all of that, you're welcome to talk with my three kids. I'm sure they'd be happy to be extremely honest with you about my low batting average. But I say all of this for a couple of reasons, all of it. I say it, one, I want you to understand, first and foremost, that I am your pastor, and I am grateful to be your pastor, but I am a flawed human being, and I am a flawed father. So anything that I am about to say today, uh, I come at with great humility, and I also come at it knowing that much of what I have learned as a father has been passed down along to me by flawed fathers who are desperate to see their kids follow Jesus as well. The second thing is this. I tell you all this because I desperately want to be a father that John Mayer doesn't write songs about. Okay? I have always wanted to be a father who seeks to love his family in a godly, biblical manner, one that is honoring to both God and to my wife and to my kids. And so men, whether you're walking in here as first-time parents or potential fathers someday along the road, or you have already done the fatherhood thing and you're raising adult children and now you're a grandfather or you're an uncle, whatever it might be, my hope for you is that we would all come to this subject understanding that God has a calling on your life. And it is a beautiful calling on your life. And that our heart's desire this morning would that God would teach us and shape us and form us into being fathers, whether that being biological fathers or fathers to a generation raising up in this world today who desire for the next generation to love and follow Jesus. That's our aim this morning, okay? So I'm going to share with you some of the things that I have found to be true about fatherhood in my own life as I have scanned the scriptures and as I have experienced it on a day-to-day basis. So please know, again, that I say this with great humility and a continued desire on my part to learn and grow in this very area. In fact, I say this all the time, but many times when I preach, most of the time when I preach, I feel like I'm preaching to myself and you all are just listening in, right? And that's how I feel today. This message is as much for me as it is for you today, men, okay? By the way, I will also say this, young ladies, when I talk to you about this and I say these kinds of things about what God desires in a man as a father, I hope that you put this on your list of priorities as you approach marriage and parenting in the future. This is an opportunity for you to look for a man who actually desires these sorts of things in his life and in the lives of the, of the men that he's raising in his life. Okay, enough about that. All right, so let's dive in, shall we? Uh, if you have your phone with you, you can open up the YouVersion app. Uh, you can download that free resource. Go to more events in the Genesis Church. You can follow along with everything I'm going to read. Men, I recommend this. You can take some notes. You can do some reflection in there on how things are going in your life. 
And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6 because the Apostle Paul actually writes a few times in the New Testament specifically to fathers. And in one place he does it is in the book of Ephesians. It's a letter written to the first church that existed in the city of Ephesus at the time. And part of the book, at the end, he gives some marriage and family instructions. He realizes that the way in which God has structured the family looks a lot different than the way in which society, at least in the first century, had structured the family. And so he gives some biblical instructions as to what the family ought to look like, how it should function, how it should you know, work together, the wife and the husband and the kids. And one of the things that he says in verse four is he gives specific instruction to fathers. And here's what he writes. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Let me read it again. Men, lean in a little bit and listen. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. In this one verse, Paul is casting a vision for fatherhood. He is casting a vision for what Christian fatherhood should be in this one verse. He's intentionally leaving a lot of room for interpretation on how to achieve what he instructs practically. But at the heart of this verse is a vision for fathers and their kids that is, I think, very easy to lose in our 21st century American society. Now, it's very likely that Paul is writing this because the cultural worldview of fatherhood and marriage and family in Ephesus, it didn't emphasize the idea of raising kids with this sort of vision in mind. And I will say this, the relevancy of the Bible continues on because like it was in Ephesus, the cultural worldview of raising kids in our 21st century society doesn't really align with Paul's words either. If I were to rewrite Paul's last sentence of that verse to match what I believe to be our cultural worldview of being a father raising kids in America today, it would read something like this instead. Bring them up to be successful, wealthy, and nice, as it is described by society. Now, this, I think, is best describing the vision of most parents in our society today. When I talk with fathers, when I talk with mothers, and I talk with kids, the emphasis and the vision that people have for their children and their grandchildren and their nieces and nephews is success, it is education, it is wealth, it is being nice to people. And listen to me, I'm not attacking any of those things, okay? None of those things are inherently wrong. There's nothing wrong with being successful or smart or having money or being nice. Please do. It's fine. But when that becomes the sole vision for our children, I think Paul and ultimately God would say, you're missing the mark. You're missing the point. That is such a short-sighted view of what I hope for the next generation, especially those who are living under your roof right now. You see, the, Paul, the vision that Paul lays out for fathers and their kids 
looks very differently. In fact, I will put it this way. For Paul, a father's number one priority is for their kids to love and follow Jesus. That is a father's number one priority. If you men are a follower of Jesus, then your vision for your kids is for them to love and follow Jesus, period. Now, they can be successful, and they can be smart, and they can be wealthy, and they can be nice, but if they're all those things and they don't love and follow Jesus, where have we led them? What have we taught them? This is our number one priority, men. As you consider fatherhood with your sons and your daughters, your number one priority in life is to lead them to love and follow Jesus. Do you get it, men? No, you don't. Do you get it, men? Thank you. Look, I treat men and women a little differently here. So men, sorry, we're going to get the gloves out and we're going to fight a little this morning because I think they need to hear this really, really bad. Really bad. Our next generation depends on you holding tightly to that vision. And if you don't, I'm telling you right now, we will lose them. We will lose them. Okay, sorry. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Paul says, listen, don't provoke them to anger. Show them compassion and grace and love them unconditionally. Express to them the same love and grace that's expressed to you through Jesus. He says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Show them, teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Create an environment in your relationship and in your home whereby Jesus is the epicenter of everything you are and everything you do. He says, this is the vision that God has for your family. And it starts with you, man. You really do set the tone in your home. And so if you want to lead your children to love and follow Jesus, well, don't provoke them to anger by the way that you treat them and bring them up under the discipline and instruction that's been given to us by the Lord. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to kind of look at that because he gives us a lot of room for interpretation, I think Paul does. Because it does look different from household to household a little bit, from generation to generation. But there are some foundational, fundamental things that, men, I think we got to get right if we want to see our kids love Jesus, follow Jesus long after they leave our homes. And so I got five fundamentals for how we raise children to learn and love Jesus, to be led by him five fundamentals of Jesus-like fatherhood. Now, I don't usually do sermons like this, but this is just inspired to me this week, I guess. God said, I want you to share the things that God, that I've laid on your heart. I want you to share the experiences you have had for the vision that you have for your children, okay? So number one, man, we got to get this. Make your faith foundational. If you build your life on anything other than your faith in Jesus Christ, you might as well scrap all the rest. None of the rest matters. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ, how could you ever expect your kids to place their faith in Jesus Christ? Now, I know this sounds obvious. We're church. I get it, okay? Right? We talk about Jesus. But is, but is it really that obvious to you? If men, our faith is not at the very foundation of who we are and what we do, can we really expect our kids to grow up loving and following Jesus? 
I mean, do you realize that when you decide to ignore coming to service on a Sunday morning, you're establishing a pattern in your lives for your children? I'm shocked at how often men who claim to love Jesus see Sunday mornings as this optional activity that they can get to when it's convenient. And I am sorry, but you will not raise Jesus-loving children if this gathering is optional in your life. It cannot happen. It won't happen. I'm telling you, it will not happen. How in the world are you going to raise your children to know and love Jesus when you've neglected the one opportunity to place God at the epicenter of your world every week? I mean, the church, with all of its good and bad, is still the place in which you and your kids anchor their lives to Jesus. Ignoring its place in your life will only cause you and your family to find something else to build their life on. Trust me, you ignore this long enough, you will find something else to put at the foundation of your life. And it won't be your faith. In addition, men, does your family know and see your devotion to following Jesus inside your house? Do your kids know that their dad is committed to reading the scriptures, to praying, to giving, listening to the Holy Spirit, following its guidances, having spiritual conversations with their children, gathering together in community? Are those practices that your children see you and hear you talk about in your home? Because listen, if we don't start here, men, the rest of it won't matter. If you hear nothing else today, please, you can tune out after I say the next five, four things, right? But if, I, if you hear nothing else, to hear this again. Your faith is foundational to your fatherhood. If it's not, then saying you want your children to love and follow Jesus is just lip service, and useless. If your kids will grow up loving Jesus, it is going to start with you intentionally pursuing him in all areas of your life. Make your faith foundational. Do not deny it. Do not ignore it. Nothing else should take priority in your life than that. Number two, fundamental of Jesus-like fatherhood, love your wife or their mother well. I know some of you here are either divorced or maybe uh, you, know, you had a child outside of marriage, whatever it might be, but you're in relationship with their mother. Many of you here are, are married. Love them well. Love your wife or the mother of your children well. In Ephesians 5, Paul casts a vision for marriage as well. In verse 21, he says that a husband and a wife are to submit to one another out of reverence of for Christ. And then in verse 25, he speaks directly to the men and he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. He gave everything for it. And so contrary to how most families are structured, your relationship with your kids, listen to me, man, your relationship with your kids is not the most important one. It is secondary to the relationship you have with your wife or even the mother of your children. 
Your relationship with them is critical. Sacrificially loving and serving your wife is an essential piece to creating an environment where kids will thrive and love Jesus, which leads us to number three. More is caught than taught. In fatherhood, more is caught than taught. Listen, there's certainly a place for teaching. We got to teach. We got to instruct. But if we're living a life contrary to God's will, it will supersede whatever we will say, right? If I say do this and then I turn around and I do the opposite, little eyes will catch on really quickly. Dad doesn't really mean what he says. And the things that he's instructing me to do, well, he doesn't even do them himself. Why would I do it? Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Nowhere, I think, is this more true than in the home, men. You are a representative of Jesus to your wife and kids, so live as one. Make the hard decision do, do the thing that is, you know you ought to be doing, but you just you choose the opposite all the time. Just choose it once and see what happens. Your kids will be far more apt to follow your words when you're living by example. Fourthly, you're not going to like this one. Address and confess your sin. You got sin, brothers. And some of it, I know, is hiding in the shadows. And it is pulling you away from being the father or the man that God is calling you to be. And until you address and confess those sins, it will continue to haunt not only you, but the future of your family as well. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's the word? Healed. What do you think your kids need more than anything else? A healthy, healed father or a broken, sinful father? Now again, this is not a recipe for perfection. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about men who have repentant hearts, who recognize there is sin in my life. I need to address it. I need to say it out loud. Some of you have confessed your sins to God 1,849,000 times and you've never said it to another person. And I'm telling you right now, until you do, you will never experience true healing from it. You gotta address and you gotta confess the sin in your life to other men. Men, we have a Saturday morning group where we meet here, uh, we're taking a, a little bit of a hiatus in the next month or so, but we're meeting in July. If you want a place to come and talk to other men who are struggling or are trying to figure this out, who have a vision for their lives and a vision for their kids, come Saturday morning, eight o'clock. Text us, text Genesis. We'll get you connected. But you need a space where you can say these things without condemnation, but with a desire to experience greater healing so that your family can benefit. Now, again, perfection is not the goal here. You're going to mess up, right? I probably messed up yesterday. I, I, I mess up so much, sometimes I don't even realize it, right? I know I'm not alone in that. 
I mean, you're going you're gonna to mess up personally. You're going to mess up relationally. And God's grace is always available. And so I encourage you, receive that and then address the sin in your life. And not just to God, but to those in your life, especially to your wife and kids. That's right. Now, within reason, obviously. But you know what? One of the most powerful statements I have learned as a father, do you know what it is? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to sin against your children, dads. You're going to say something. You're going to provoke them to anger. You're not going to treat them well. You're not going to be a good example. And you have a choice in that moment to either teach them what it looks like to address and confess the sin in your life or to withhold it and teach them, you don't say sorry. You don't say sorry. That is maybe the most powerful statement you can say to your kids, other than I love you, is I'm sorry. Is there something you need to say sorry for to your kids right now? Something that you've been holding on? Something that you haven't addressed in your life? Watch the healing that it can bring when you address and confess it. Lastly, do not neglect the table. A recent Columbia study reported 71% of teenagers who said, uh, they they studied, 71% of the kids they studied said that they consider talking, catching up, and spending time with family members during family members around the table. In our ever-increasing connective technological world, maybe the number one great asset you have to connect with your kids is around your kitchen table. I think there's a real good reason why Jesus, in his last moments in life, decided, let's gather around a table. Let's share a meal together. There are multiple studies around this as well, outside of the scriptures talking about it, but they found that eating meals around the table can prevent mental health disorders, encourage positive emotional health, decrease the risk for drug and alcohol abuse, and improve a child's self-confidence, academics, and relationships. And I will add to that, encourage them to love and follow Jesus. The American College of Pediatricians reported that family meals allow parents to impart values and traditions as well as demonstrate appropriate relationships, communication techniques, and problem-solving skills. Do not, men, neglect the time you can have with your kids around a table. I can speak from experience that it can be some of the most powerful 30 minutes of your day and theirs. Now, let me give you just a little bit of a disclaimer here because uh, my wife and I have been very intentional about this since day one with our kids. And our kids will tell you, listen, when we're home at night, we eat around the table. And I'll tell you this, you're going to go into this if this is not a normal routine in your house and you're going to be like, this is it. You know, I'm going to impart all my knowledge on my kids tonight over macaroni and cheese. And they're going to be like, we love Jesus. Baptize us in the bathtub, dad. Let's do this. That's not how this works, okay? I promise you, if you have teenagers, they're not going to want anything to do that. Here's the key to this, man. It's consistency. Every single night, this is what we do. This is who we are. And you know, there are some nights when we gather around the table and nobody says a word and we scarf down our food and, you know, they run to work or wherever. 
I don't consider that a failure in any way, shape, or form. I just think, hey, that was tonight. And there are other nights, friends, where we'll spend two and a half hours sitting around that table. So I cannot emphasize this enough. You have an opportunity to impart your values and your traditions and your faith in that space. You all have to eat. So why not take advantage of that and be a part of what your kids are doing? Don't take your meal and go watch the baseball game or go play your friggin' video games. Don't do it, okay? <laughs> Sit down with your family and have a meal with them. Look them in the eye. Talk with them. Hear about their day. Listen to their struggles. Laugh with them. Shake your head when you don't understand what they're talking about. It's okay. Don't neglect the table. Now, I wish I could say that if you do these five things, everything is going to work out perfectly. But you know as well as I do that that's not how this works. You know, I know we wish that we could have total control of our kids and our grandkids and of the kids that are in our lives that we love and support and we have total control over who they will be. And if I just do these five things, then man, they're going to be the next, you know, great evangelist in the world. But that's just not how it works. So here's what I want you to know. Your calling in life is not to the outcomes but simply to being faithful to what God has asked of you. That's all you can control. The outcomes, those are God's. And many of you in this room know, hey, I loved my kids, I did all this, and they strayed from God. And maybe they came back, maybe they didn't. You cannot control that outcome. But if you want to give your kids a fighting chance, men, you got to start here. God is calling you. He has not just given you a responsibility as men and as fathers. He has given you a calling on your life to love your kids and your wife well, that they might love and follow Jesus themselves. The only thing that you can control is your level of faithfulness to what God has called you to. And if you do that, we can have, you can have incredible influence in the lives of your family members, especially your kids. And all that said, if you're in a place where you realize the vision that you have for your kids or have had for your kids is not at all what I'm talking about today, I just want you to know that God's grace is fully available. It's okay. And this morning you may be convicted and feeling called to something deeper, and that's a good thing. Don't ignore it. Don't shun it. Allow God to do that work in you. Because here's what we know of God, that God was and is the very first good and perfect father. If we're going to learn fatherhood from anybody, it best be him. And he has allowed us to learn from him through his scriptures what it means to be faithful fathers. He is a father who loves his children deeply. He gave everything for you so that you would know him and be able to follow him. And this Father's Day, he is leading you men into something newer and better. So this morning, whether you're experiencing encouragement or conviction or confusion, receive the invitation from God this morning. 
Respond in faith to what he is calling you to next. And as you do, we're going to remember the father that we have and how he so incredibly loved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to partake in communion this morning. And I want you to see this as an opportunity for you to remember and honor your heavenly father. I know that many of you in this room, you've lost a father. Maybe your father was distant or absent in your life. And those are very real and painful things. But I want you to remember the depth of the love of the good father in heaven for you this morning. That he sent his son Jesus while we were still sinners to come and to live and to die and to resurrect again three days later so that we might experience new life. In spite of our sin, Jesus came to bring forgiveness and healing and to make us right with our Father again. And so, men, we take our example from him as our leader and as our forgiver. And men and women, we come to him as our Father who calls us heirs to his inheritance in heaven, his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And so this morning as you come to the table, there's three around the room. There's one here here and in the back. I believe there is a gluten-free option in the back as well. I pray that you will remember the great love of your Father in heaven today. And men, that you would be inspired and challenged and convicted to go from this place to be a father who knows and loves Jesus in his life that his children, your children, might know and love Jesus as well. One last thing, there's some baskets at the table. and Many of you know what those are for, but if you don't, those are there for if you want to make a donation to our Benevolence Fund, which goes back to helping the many people inside and outside your church with basic needs like food and shelter. So if you would like to take advantage of that, you can as well. Let me pray. And then we're going we're gonna to sing about our good father and we're going to remember our good father through communion this morning. God, I am greatly humbled as a dad to come here and to speak on these things. You know how deeply flawed I can be and am. And and yet, Lord, I needed to hear this this morning. It's my prayer that the men in this room feel challenged this morning, that they feel encouraged and lifted up, that there's an incredible opportunity to be a father whose number one priority is to lead their children to love and follow Jesus. God, wherever there may be conviction, I pray, God, that you would bring about change. Wherever there is encouragement, God, I pray you'd bring about inspiration. And God, that you would lead us as men, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, brothers, nephews, cousins, friends, God, that you would lead us to continue to have an influence, a Jesus-like influence in our homes and in the worlds that we live in. We thank you most of all for you, God, our heavenly Father, who loved us so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to earth to come and to die on our behalf that we might be called into the family of God as sons and daughters of you. So we celebrate that this morning. We ask God, you would fill us with your spirit 
that we would leave here different because of what has occurred here this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.